Greetings, poddies, and welcome to my very new podcast, My Life Not Yours. I'm Tina, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to a bit of banter about my life lessons I've learned along the way. Enjoy. Welcome, poddies, to episode eight. Yeah, we're there, number eight of My Life Not Yours. And today's episode is all about institutionalised thoughts, or being institutionalised, even. Before I get into that, today it's the 21st of April when I'm recording this podcast. And the reason why I'm doing it today, because I wanted to reflect on one of the most important verdicts in American courts. Last year, on the 25th of May 2020, a black man by the name of George Floyd, aged 46 years old, was murdered by Derek Chauvin, a white police officer in the state of Minneapolis. As I record this podcast today, Chauvin was found guilty on three charges, second degree murder, third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. So at the moment, everybody's just wondering if he's just going to get 12 years because sentencing doesn't take place until another two months time. So we've still got a long way to go. And in fact, we've got a long way to go, period, because within the space of two weeks, two other black Americans have been shot. And before George Floyd caused the uprising, there were countless others. I don't even want to get into all the names because there are so many. The police officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds while George was pleading that he could not breathe. That became synonymous around the world and sparked loads of riots, especially Black Lives Matter, who led the campaign to really talk about us because the colour of our skin can be shot and unfairly done over. In so many ways. Dunova is a little bit steep to say, but you get the drift. So as I said, it's temporary, but for now, we can breathe momentarily. But the systemic racism in America is really troubling to me. I'm not going to get into the UK right now, because we could have this as a whole other podcast. But let's lift the mood a bit. Although I'm not sure with what I'm going to talk about, it's necessarily going to do that. I want to get into institutionalised and institutionalism, institutions even, And what it really means, because according to the Oxford Dictionary, they quote, if a person is institutionalised, then it's to send somebody who is not capable of living independently to live in a special building, a.k.a. institution, particularly when it's for a long period of time. If, on the other hand, you institutionalise something, something becomes part of an organised system, society or culture. I guess when you go to school, college, work, they're all institutions. But for me, my immediate thoughts always result back to some of the children's homes I was brought up in. They were proper what I call institutions. And I think when anybody thinks of institutions, I'm not sure if it's always positive. So you get the penal system, which is prison. You get mental health institutions. But the reason why I think I wanted to raise this because... 
How many of us feel that we've become institutionalized during lockdown in our head, in our house, building, whatever we're living in, if we are living somewhere? And I think I felt this because I've felt a little bit trapped inside and I was listening to another podcast just yesterday where the podcaster had said they are so over this situation, even though in the UK that we are slowly coming out of it, everything's kicking off in other parts of the world with a third surge. I, for one, am a little bit scared of having been almost locked down in my house for over a year. We came out for a little bit of sunshine, I think it was last June and July. And as someone said to me today, oh, we had the highest temperatures in London for a decade teen. I thought, hmm, okay. It is scary, this whole word of institutionalised in the way I see it, bearing in mind what everybody's been through. COVID-19 has done that too many and we don't even recognise it. As the restrictions are slowly being lifted... I almost feel wary about being free in the outside world again. And I was just talking to somebody about even when I go out, do I want people that close to me? I'm in my own little world. It does make me feel a little bit weird, weird even. And um, I think the other part of this is isolation, how isolating it can be. So it's isolation and institutionalised or feeling institutionalised. They are very different terms but almost fused together by default of what we've all been through. For a long time, institutions were also an area that I felt safe, but also quite isolated. The care system in itself is an institution. And you may wonder, how the hell did I cope with that? Well, I have no answer. I think I believe in the law of attraction. And good things manifested itself throughout that time for me, but I couldn't see it. My life has not become worse for it. But when you're living in an approved home with lots of others or in the care of a family, everything is temporary. And in my opinion, that makes it an institution. So someone else I really want to talk about, and I think this episode is going to be really, if I'm honest, speaking about people that have passed prisons, lessons and stuff like that and things that have really made me think about that word even more regardless of what the bloody Oxford Dictionary says. DMX, Dark Man Xavier or Dark Man X was a iconic hip-hop artist who died on the 9th of April from a heart attack brought on by a suspected, that's quote-unquote, overdose. It's been shrouded in controversy because this poor guy had apparently had a Covid jab beforehand but I don't want to really get into that. What I do want to get into is his past and you know social media has been absolutely flooded with this artist and what he did and he was into spirituality which happened to be God and he was isolated and institutionalised from a very very young age. He basically had a very toxic family being his mother. I can't even remember what um, had happened to his father, but the mother had tricked him one day by saying, taking him to um, look at a new home. Little did he know she was going to leave him there and not go back for him. So it was a children's home. So he'd been uh, institutionalised here and then abandoned. And to top it all, after that, he was then on crack cocaine from the age of 14. And 
he got onto crack because his mentor, who was giving him life lessons and stuff like that, had then suddenly introduced him to the white dust. And I, I just feel so sad because when it was announced, social media was absolutely flooded with it. And if you're into hip hop, which was a thing of the 80s and 90s, I kind of grew up knowing about it. And there was some really conscious verse and stuff being communicated through hip hop. You look at this guy with a really gruff voice. He just turned 50, I think, in December. And you look into the background and it seems to be quite a thing amongst some hip hop artists uh, going through a lot of pain. But I was completely moved and really saddened to see what had happened with his past. He had, he didn't stand a chance. He actually didn't stand a chance. You're addicted to crack from 14 and you're incarcerated in these institutions that are just shit. It's prison. And so there was another part of his story whereby he was living on the streets and his best friends became dogs. And so it's quite synonymous through a lot of his videos. He does these dog barks and stuff like that. Anyway, my lesson is we shouldn't always judge a book by its cover as at times there is a lot more hurt going on. It's happened to me quite a lot, right? People think, yeah, she's done well or whatever done well means and, and, and stuff like that. And actually there has been a lot of hurt there. And I've fronted my past by trying to be successful in work, in my sport and having lots of friends around me. But the bubble did burst. I knew that I had to really, really speak to a professional because I wasn't mad but I just broke down because actually there was a lot of hurt there and so one of my key things is whatever those feelings are help is out there and I think at this time I was institutionalized in my own head my biggest critic was myself and my limiting self-beliefs I had to get comfortable with the uncomfortable by speaking to a professional. It wasn't scary. Well, it was actually. I'm lying. It was freaking scary. Very first time I went off to see a psychotherapist was to really break down what all these institutions had done to me and how that had affected how I operated later on in life. And, you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, apart from on the first one. (laughs) I crashed my car. I I said it was a bit dramatic, but the wing mirror came off because I was shaking like a leaf thinking, am I mad? Will people think I'm mad? And yet I was worried more about what people thought and yet people didn't know. A friend had given me somebody who they thought would be brilliant for me and that was it. Just shows you about stigma. So I'm saying, and we know there's a lot of mental health out there now, And I'm not saying I had a mental health problem, but I needed to speak to someone who was outside of my circle and could help me analyse why I felt so trapped by my past. Lately, I've been really disturbed, or it's been playing deeply on my mind, about programmes I've watched either recently or in the past. 
And most have involved death and most of them are linked to institutions. And I wanted to really talk to you about those programmes that I have felt have really moved me, almost brought me to tears. So the first one I watched, I remember I was at college doing a diploma in sport. So it was very, very early on in my life. I must have been, I don't know, I can't even remember my age. But 14 Days in May was released in 1987. And it is all about a guy called Edward Earl Johnson, who was 26 and was incarcerated for raping a white woman. Not only was he incarcerated, he was sentenced to the death penalty and so there was a British civil rights attorney or lawyer as we know them who campaigns against a death penalty and took on the case and his name was Clive Stafford Smith from the UK but was actually out in America for quite a lot of his time and it upset me so much he actually went and was killed under the death penalty and I think the most profound thing for me is the last meal that these guys got and you see him in the waiting room with his family all singing a really beautiful soul tune that I can't actually listen to anymore without um, thinking about this program and you could see he was slightly illiterate which a lot of the Afro-Americans who are in the penal system or incarcerated because it's three times more than that of a white person he was pleading saying I didn't do it and yet no one not even his lawyer could get him off. The upstart of this is that I was so moved by this documentary by the BBC that Clive Stafford Smith, that's the lawyer, had this um, programme called Lifelines, which is where you could offer a lifeline to someone on death row. And so at the time, I decided I would apply for it. So you signed up, they give you all these things like never ask a prisoner, what they've done and please be consistent with your writing now imagine this I sign up to do this and the first person I get was a guy called Stacy and there was just something after my second letter that I thought why am I doing this because if there was anything to do that they'd done that was to do children I don't think I could live with myself so Unfortunately, I did stop that, but it was the fact that I am not obsessed, but people who have been institutionalised, and I'm not talking college or school, because that's not institutionalised, but in institutions that you are locked down, literally, and cannot get out, there seems to be something that I'm, I, I have an affinity with, and I don't know what it is, and I think maybe it is the lockdown element, even though I was always free to go. The other one that's an institution or somebody that had to go through it is a programme on uh, Amazon Prime that I only watched probably two weeks ago. It's called Crown Heights. And again, this is the justice system in America. It's incarcerated again, another institution about a 21-year-old guy called Colin Warner. Probably around the same time as 14 Days of May, so it's the late 80s, early 90s. He was incarcerated for something he didn't do at the age Sorry, I said he was 21, he was 18 and he was incarcerated. 21 years in 1980, that was it. He was convicted of this crime that he was nowhere near and I think it was a shooting. And you know, he had this best friend that fought for years and years and years 
to get him out and he finally did it and he did it by learning the law and knowing the shortcomings in the case and I just felt completely moved by this story and I actually thought is there anybody that I care that much about that I would dedicate 20 years of my life to releasing them from something they didn't do or supporting them you know his wife uh, temporarily left him anyway I'm not going to ruin the story I would love you to watch that because it was amazing that everybody got around George Floyd but there's so many more and I just think people need to be educated and the reason why I put this under institutions because people go absolutely mad in these places I mean they were showing Colin Warner who went on the hunger strike he was put in solitary confinement although I've got a worse story to come up in fact let me tell you about Khalif Browder the Khalif Browder story on Netflix he's a black Bronx team who spent three horrific years in jail again he was convicted of a crime that he didn't do and of those three years he spent two in solitary confinement and sometimes I, that's what I feel, that I'm in solitary confinement in my own head. And it's dangerous, you know, it's dangerous, this whole institutionalised effect. And, and, and when your mind starts talking to you, if you haven't talked to anybody, because while we've been in lockdown, sometimes I haven't spoken to anybody for sometimes a week. I'm a single woman, so I don't live with anybody. And everybody's going through their own shit. So I, I couldn't begin to know what it felt like, but this poor young guy... It didn't end well because when he came out of prison, I'm not glamorising incarceration, but remember, the key thing is, these stories I'm telling you, they didn't do the crime and they're all black. The institution killed him, literally. He finally got let out and, I mean, it's beautifully told but harrowing in certain respects on Netflix. He hung himself. He hung himself from his bedroom. And I remember watching this on a Sunday morning and a friend had said to me, she said, Tina, you're not going to watch another one of these programmes. I said, I need to get it out of my system. I need to watch them all. And Netflix was really showing quite a few of them. There is one that's out at the moment that uh, I can't watch about uh, a young baby boy, not baby boy. I mean, he was about six, seven, where his parents completely... Um, tortured and, and beat him and then eventually killed him. I can't watch it. Um, I think he's a young Mexican or Latino boy. I can't because I'm so visual. The next one, I know this is all pretty disturbing, but I just, I just need to get this off his chest and I promise I won't do another kind of episode like this. But I think certain people do need to be educated. But the big one was the Central Park Five or When They See Us. And this one resonated with me because before lockdown in 2019, I was out on business in New York and I went out with my colleague for a walk in Central Park and I had not long ago seen the documentary When They See Us, which was basically five teens aged 14 to 16, again, 1989, so it was the late 80s, who were from Harlem, accused of beating and raping a white woman. I just had to pause there because it just, I just feel a bit exasperated by it all. But these guys were incarcerated as juveniles for seven years, but actually one of them was tried as an adult and did 13 years. Remember the ages I told you, 14 to 16. And when I was walking through Central Park, I felt something at this particular spot. I'd watched the documentary probably four months before I went out there. But I went into Central Park, which is beautiful but very eerie and I can't imagine what it was like at night. 
the documentary shows the guy, particularly who was incarcerated as an adult, solitary confinement. I think he must have done about eight years in there of his time. It was absolutely disgusting. And I just think when you put particularly men in an institution such as prison, they end up coming out like animals or behave. They don't end up coming out. They behave like animals inside. And it's it's a battle of survival. And it just is just really sad. The upstart is, is there's a disproportionate amount of black males in prison and the miscarriages of justice in the late 80s, early 90s. This is us, Crown Heights, Khalif Browder, 14 days in May, just absolutely illustrates that point. And to just wrap up the sorry tale of incarceration as it is, is there's a fantastic podcast. Well, a lot of people probably won't find it fantastic, but I, again, I'm surprised I'm not working in prison or something, but then I'm a bit of a scaredy cat and think someone will come after me or it's it's corrupt as a bit like some other institutions, right? It's It's so corrupt, so I couldn't do it. But there's a podcast and I guess it's the reality for me of people put in an institution and they've done wrong or they haven't done wrong, if that makes sense. So the Ear Hustle podcast is about people that have been in prison, incarcerated, and most of them have done the crime. But Ear Hustle gets really down and dirty about certain things in prison. And again, I seem to be fascinated by it. Somebody might say, well, Tina, why don't you bloody just try and get yourself locked up? And then you'll find out how real it is. I'm not saying that. People do judge and we can't judge a book by its cover, okay? We need to hear how and why someone's gone in there. If you're sitting in a jury in court, you don't often hear that. And I think for me, when I listen to Ear Hustle and some of these guys that have been incarcerated, the background, their upbringing was appalling. I mean... Oh my God, the stories are absolutely harrowing. And how this resonates with me, mine wasn't great. Some of it was good. Some of it was awful that I've never told. And I'm not going to go into details here. I'm still standing. I haven't been institutionalised again in any shape or form. And I guess it's how do I try and give back in the community? I'm not saying it's prison to help people that have maybe, maybe it is in the care system, I'm not sure. And uh, I need to really think about that. The Ear Hustle podcast is another one that I've really, really got on with. And um, it's the first kind of few seasons around San Quentin prison. And, you know, it's uh, 75% black inmates. It didn't used to be like that. And it used to be one of the worst prisons, but I think it's really calmed down again. I guess for me, it's really kind of digging deep to see why I have a, not a fascination, but I get drawn into these type of documentaries. It really takes an emotional toll on me. And I think it is associated with my childhood, even though I've not been accused of anything in a bizarre way. I think I have been incarcerated with more freedom than that of a, a prisoner or someone who's been put into an institution and not of their own free will. A bit like me. Uh, My release from foster care and temporary homes involved the care system that didn't care. That was the institution in itself. My lesson is I think sometimes we need to find peace and most definitely own our truth. I'm speaking about my journey 
over the years in doing this, my need to help other young people, and I make reference to, again, uh, the programme at Crown Heights where Colin Warner's friend never gave up on him. What should I be doing to give something back and help save someone else from their own institution and isolation? Our limiting beliefs can be our biggest hurdle, but also our past can still live with us in the future and we need to leave it in the past and try and move forward. Some of you are probably shouting me down saying that's easier said than done because if you watch one of these documentaries or even if you look at DMX, his pain and suffering came through his music and when he was on stage he could forget almost his past but once that whole kind of chameleon type face had gone he was left with his demons he was left with a past that he couldn't erase because everyone had given up on him the village didn't raise him he was left to fend to himself and people that were feeding him shit talking to him shit and I had that and I'm still trying to dig deep and think what is it in my life that allowed me to pull through and be okay there has been some destructive stuff that has still come through into my adulthood but what I feel now is if I have to walk this path alone to really be content and happy and I'm I would say I'm absolutely 70% there but there are still some institutionalized thoughts I feel that sometimes I can be in an institution in my own head, but I am perfectly free to do as I please. And for that, I am so grateful for. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of My Life, Not Yours. It would mean the world to me if you could head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, rate and leave me a review. You can also spread the love and help grow my potty by sharing the link provided in my show notes. Until next time, take care.